Tonight we're going to be focused on two verses of Scripture, verses 14 and 15. The context of this is we just wrapped up what the qualifications are in verses 1 through 7 for bishops, and then 8 through 13, we wrapped up the qualifications for the office of an elder, or deacons rather. And now it comes to verse 14, and it says, But these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou oughtest may... They, let me try that one again. <laughs> but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Let's take a minute. I'd like to pray one, once more before we get into the text. Lord God, thank you for your word, for your truth, for your church. Help me divide your word out properly. Your saints may get some help. I certainly need it. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so he says, these things write I unto thee, what things? Well, it's the, that's all the stuff about the bishop, bishops and deacons. And notice that he says, uh, he writes these things hoping, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So Paul, concerning his coming to Timothy, he had a hope so, but he didn't have a no so. He says, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to come unto thee shortly. That's what he hoped. That's what he wanted. Now contrast to that. Look, I hope to come to you, but if not, if not, I've got a no so for you, not a hope so. <laughs> I'm a hope so whether I come, but I've got a no so for you. And that no so is the written word. These things write I unto thee. We can see as we start to work through the book of 1 Timothy, how the written scriptures was governing every aspect of church life. And so by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has these, these words written down. These things write I unto thee. They're being governed by the written word. You and I, we may hope to get to midweek service. We may hope, Lord willing, to get to Sunday school and Sunday morning service and Sunday afternoon service. That's what we hope to do. I hope to be here. You hope to be here. But you know what we can count on as a no-so? That the written word will be what will govern whoever does show up. The written word governs the church. Timothy doesn't govern the church. Paul doesn't govern the church. No pastor, no bishop, no deacon, no elder the church is governed by the written word. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about this morning. But if I tarry long, you see that? If, if I tarry long, look, I may. But he says that thou mayest know. See that contrast again? These things right under you, hoping to come unto these shortly, I hope. But if I tarry, that thou mayest know some things. How is he going to know some things? Because Paul doesn't need to be there. Timothy doesn't need to be there. 
They, just like us, have the written word. Does that rule your life? If you have an idea and the written word goes against your idea, what do you, what do you double down with? It should be the word. If I've got something in my heart and my mind, if I don't filter it through the word, all I'm doing is moving backward, not forward. All right, the written word. This is important because tied in this chapter, we talked about bishops, we talked about deacons, we talked about those offices of church leadership. And my testimony is I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church had priests, they had bishops, and then they had titles that not even the Bible had. Archbishop, somebody higher. A cardinal, somebody higher. A pope, somebody at the highest. And the way that that structure was set up was that the written word was subject to them. Religion never is in subjection to the written word. The written word is used only if it is in subjection to those leaders. That is wrong thinking. That's wrong Bible. That's not true biblical Christianity. Now, I need to say this, and I'd like you to take it uh, seriously. We don't have that. I, I don't believe we have this mentality here. I, uh, I was not trained or taught or mentored by men who have this philosophy of ministry. But it is out there. And in some churches... The structure is set up, there's a denomination, and then there's a seminary school that is connected to that denomination, and then out of that denomination is a what is called your camp, <laughs> and then out of that camp come the preacher boys that become now the man of God that are uh, either voted in by the church leadership that is from the denomination and the seminary school, and everything is designed around being in subjection to that, even if the written word comes around and kicks some of their beliefs. And you say, really? In Christian circles? Yes, really, in Christian circles. Now, if that is the case, how is that any different than a Roman Catholic hierarchy which uses different words and different phrases? But at the end of the day, the written word is subject to men. Both of it's wrong. A true biblical church, no matter what the denomination is, no matter what the seminary is, no matter what, the, or, or, or I'm sorry, who the church leaders are or who the pastor is, all must be subject to the word of God. What am I constantly trying to point everyone to? The word of God. And if you come to me with an idea, I'm going to say, can you show me that in the Bible? Is there a verse of scripture we should look at in relation to what we're talking about? If you hear me say something 
and you're in your Bible and you're trying to find out where it is in the Bible and you don't see it, what do you have the right, no, not only the right, the duty to do as a believer? Come to me with the written word so that I can put myself in subjection to the word. Does that make sense? Amen. You ever hear of the court of appeals? How does that work? A judgment's been made and now you want to appeal that judgment. What is our court of appeals? The written word. You can't trust me, a man. I can't trust you. But we can trust the word. And everything that we say, when it aligns up with the word, now we find truth. Now we find trust. Now we find true biblical edification. Verse number 15, this is an important verse. Uh, after it says, but if I tarry that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. You know, there's a pattern of behavior that's appropriate for the house of God. And too many times, especially in this modern day, there's a slack approach. There's a loose approach. There's a, everything's a casual approach. You know that every day people get dressed up to go to a courtroom. Every day they do. And it's what's called courtroom decorum. That is, the courts have a way that they would like people to behave themselves. <laughs> they dress neatly when they go to the courthouse. They're not on their cell phone during court. They're exercising self-control. They're not just doing whatever they want to do. They refer to the judge as your honor. And they stand when they speak to him. So that's not fair. It's the courtroom decorum. And everyone follows that decorum. Or they would be in contempt of court. The judge is spoken to with respect. You can't argue with him. You can appeal to him. And he refers to the law. Why does he do all of this? To protect the dignity of the court. Christians, church family, there's a way we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. Do you know that every day people participate in martial arts training. And there's what's called proper dojo etiquette. And thousands of people across the United States practice this every day. They'll put on a funny uniform. It must be clean and neat and well-pressed. And if they don't have that, they will be asked to put on a clean uniform. They bow to the instructor and their fellow students as a sign of respect. They listen to the instructor. They're asked to sit up straight and to listen while the instructor is reviewing a technique. 
They can't eat on the dojo floor. They can't drink coffee. They can't just do whatever they want. Now, I give you two examples. We have a courtroom example, and we have an athletic example. And why is it that a lot of our culture, American culture, treats church so casually, yet they don't treat these other things that, with that same type of attitude? I'm telling you, that's an important verse. We ought to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. There's some respect, there's some decorum, there's some etiquette that all has to do with being with showing reverence and giving our best as we worship our Lord. It doesn't earn us a place in heaven, but it shows respect to our holy God. We should behave ourselves. How many of you moms tell your kids to, hey, behave yourself when you go out in public? They're fussing and whatever. Hey, behave yourself in my house. When we come into the house of God, when we come into the church house as saints, we should do the same. The same. Verse 15, look what else it says. Uh, I tell you that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Our God's alive. He wants us to live for him. The pillar and ground of truth. Now you see that phrase, the house of God. And we refer to our, you know, we say the church house. Sometimes we might say, hey, I'll meet you at church. I know what you mean. You know what I mean. But let's spend a little bit of time defining some terms biblically. Um, when it says house of God. In verse number 15, when it says house of God, it is not in reference to a brick building with a sign outside of that brick building that says ABC Baptist. You've arrived at the house of God. That's not the reference here. I need to say that because we use this term, or not we, but I'll give you a testimony when I grew up, the Roman Catholic Church would always refer to themselves as the church. They would get mileage out of that definite article, the. We would say we, we are the, it's the church. It was understood as a Catholic when they used the phrase the church, it was understood that that meant the Roman Catholic Church was the only one true church. And so they that phrase would, was used constantly. The church has always taught. Or they would say things like, the church got us the Bible. What, are the, what did they mean by that? They meant the Roman Catholic Church got everybody the Bible. Uh, they would say things like, the church is needed for you and for me to understand the Bible. What they meant was, the Roman Catholic Church will speak on behalf of, of God and his word. And so they would always use that phrase, the, but they're not referring to the church of the living God in this verse. That's not what they're referring to. And to make this point uh, known, go to 1 Corinthians 12. Look at, uh, look at verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members... 
and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body and that's not by water that's a spirit baptism whether we be Jews or Gentiles whether we be bond or free have been all made to drink into one spirit for the body is not one member but many and it, and, and it goes on. Look at verse number 18. But now if God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. The church, when you hear the phrase of the church, biblically, it refers to Christ's body. You and I are members of Christ's body. What is the church of the living God? It is Christ's body. It's not a brick building. It's the body of Christ. And we are referred to as, as we are members of that body, all in, okay, all in, it then is referred to as one body. The Roman Catholic Church isn't the one true church. There's one body. We are all members of it. It's Christ's body. Uh, Ephesians 5 talks about uh, the church is uh, where Christ is the savior of that one body and he is the head of the church. What is the church of the living God? It's Christ's body. Where Christ is the savior of that body. And then Christ is the head of that body. It's all about Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 5. Colossians 1 talks about the church where Christ is not only the head of the body, but he has all of the preeminence. I want you to go home and really get this. When you hear the church of the living God, when you hear that phrase... What is that? Christ's body. Where Christ is the Savior of that body. Where Christ is the head of that body. And where Christ has all of the preeminence as the Savior and as the head of that body. That is the church of the living God. Anything else is just a counterfeit. That's the church. You a member of the church? Yeah. If you're saved, you are. So why wouldn't you want to get connected to a local body as a natural byproduct of understanding all that truth? And so when the, when the Bible talks about we should know how to behave yourself, proper behavior, we don't offer up Christ as a sacrifice on an altar every Sunday like the Roman Catholic Church. Why? Because he offered himself once for all. We don't have a parish with a dead Jesus on a crucifix. We have an empty cross, an empty tomb. That's the church of the living God. You can drive around, you can see a lot of buildings. You have the JWs, they have a kingdom hall, typically a brick building, no windows. 
They do not believe in a triune God. Jesus is just the first of the created beings, and they don't believe in a they don't believe in a Trinity at all. Matter of fact, they believe Jesus is the Archangel Michael. They couldn't be further from the truth. From the truth, that's a brick building. That's not the church of the living God. Mormons, they have a tabernacle, beautiful tabernacles. And you can go there and uh, Joseph Smith also rejected a triune God. Jesus was just a spirit child. He was the brother of Lucifer. And you can go into a Mormon tabernacle the same way you can go into a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. That is not the church of the living God. It's a spiritual organism, number one, and there's some truth to that spiritual organism, not just made up stuff by people. You hear to, uh, of uh, Ellen White, she started the SDA, the Seventh Day Adventist religion. And it's more like a satanic cult than anything else. They don't believe in a literal hell. And she started to have visions, Ellen White. And so she started to have these visions and she took um, out of the book of Revelation, uh, the mark of the beast and following the commandments. And if you didn't worship on the Saturday, the Sabbath day, then that to her was you took the mark of the beast and now uh, and then she married some man named James White. And so now Ellen White, now uh, they built their religion off of like hundreds and hundreds of dreams and visions that a woman had. Now, we just learned in First Timothy 2, the role of women in the church of the living God, right? Ladies, you probably can make some really big money. YouTube in about all your dreams and visions, okay? It can be the modern day Ellen White, but it'd be blasphemous to God, which is what that group has done. And it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. At all. The Bible's not their final authority. And if you talk to a Seventh-day Adventist, they will tell you, they will agree with you that salvation is by grace. But the more you talk to them about it, you will quickly realize for yourself that they have redefined grace to mean grace and works, which is just, it's just the same as every religion. Folks, that is not the church of the living God. That is a works-based religion. Why is this so important? In our culture, you will, how many of you heard of Ben Carson, neurosurgeon, wrote some books, got into politics, did a run for the presidential election. I don't know much about him other than those things I mentioned. And the fact, and the fact that the evangelical community got real, real, real excited about Ben Carson, which I would too if my kid needed a brain, uh, had a brain issue. But I'm concerned about his soul the same way I would be concerned about somebody's soul that lives across the street. 
And he said, yeah, well, it's just the same as any Protestant religion. Now, that's a political way to try to get the faith-based community to vote for you. I understand that. But honestly, if you truly believe in the church of the living God, and if you truly believe that you were saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, plus or minus nothing, wouldn't you not have a burden for a man like that, even if that meant you weren't really popular amongst all the other ecumenical evangelicals? Amen. Amen, because that man's soul, anyone's soul, is valuable to the Lord. And so many times when somebody becomes popular or they become famous or they have some political punch to them, we tend to say, well, yeah, they're kind of, yeah, yeah, they're Christian. No. If I ever had the opportunity, which I probably never will, but if I ever had the opportunity to sit down with either Donald Trump or Joe Biden, I would talk to both of them about the same thing. Where is your soul going to end up when you die? Because both of those men need what? A savior. And both of them need to become members of the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of truth. Now, when it comes to voting, I know who I'm going to vote for. <laughs> But when it comes to these types of matters, it's a completely different game. Completely different. I remember going to a meeting one time. The speaker, who was a Christian, he was making the point that what he sees as one of the problems of many churches nowadays is that they have these politicians in and they give the politicians pulpit time. Now, probably wouldn't be true for us because we're such a small little flock, but you start getting 500 or 600 or 1,000 or 2,000 members, all of a sudden, those votes rack up quick. So they would come into churches and then the pastors would give them pulpit time and the pastor would take a seat and then allow the politician to then... Well, this one speaker was saying, that is, we should, that is completely wrong. Do not do that. The pulpits, he was making the point, is losing power. Those politicians need to come and sit and be under the preaching of the word of God. That's the only help that they're really going to get to be able to rule and to govern the way God would have them govern. Biblically. And so he flipped the table around, and I agree with that. That's the church of the living God. That's the pillar and ground of truth. And people, you know, I, the Church of Christ, uh, I don't know if I told you this uh, or not, but somebody runs a, a YouTube channel and send an, an email to wanted to challenge me to a public debate, which I said, well, I don't, I don't do public debates. 
And uh, but that's not a that's not the church of the living God. It might say church of Christ, but it's they just have expensive bathtubs to lead people to salvation. You don't get saved by being immersed in water. You be immersed in water because you're saved. And so if you're teaching that as a plan of salvation, that's heresy. Even if you have uh, a Bible that you say you go by, you don't understand it correctly. I wrote this note down. Ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. And the point I'd like for us to get a hold of is don't let what is happening around you bother you. <laughs> Just be careful of what's happening around you. It don't get in you. Because <laughs> when it gets in you, it will sink you. It will sink me. You're not going to be able to fix everything out there. Just don't let out there get in here. Yeah. Yep. Amen. 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 House of God. House of God. Um, let's look at these two verses and uh, we'll, we'll just look at the one verse and then we'll uh, I'll make a few more points and we'll, we'll close out. Go to Hebrews 11 and concerning Concerning the house of God, I'm not saying we shouldn't refer to our building as the church house. I'm not saying that. But listen to this point. Uh, in Hebrews chapter number 11, we all know this chapter, verse 7. Watch what it says. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now, do you think that Noah called in some big cranes and like a big flatbed and say, hey, fellas, put my house on this crane and we're going to move it over to the ark. <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to drop my house inside this ark. Because if God's flooding the world, look, I spent a lot of time building that thing. <laughs> that thing's going in the ark. Now, do you think Noah did that? Of course he didn't. So when we, when we see this, uh, verse number seven, when we see prepared an ark to the saving of his house, what's the obvious context of this? People, right? People. When we see the house of God in 1 Timothy 3, it's people. All right? We are members of his body. It's, it's people. The same thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. It's an obvious reference to your immediate family, which would be people. God wants souls to be saved. Okay? Um, so that's important in 1 Timothy chapter number 3 that the house of God is a reference to people. Uh, Hebrews 11 and, and Acts 16 as well. Lastly, I'll make the point of this. Um, it says that the, uh, it's the, ch uh, the church of the living God, which is what? The pillar and ground of truth. Sanctify them in truth, John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. 
Uh, Philippians 2, holding forth the word of what? Life. You hold it forth. You have some ground. You laid out some ground. You did all the dirt work. It's steadfast. It's firm. It's unmovable. And then on that, you've got some pillars. And those pillars are steadfast and unmovable. And then the, so you got the ground, you've got the pillars, and then on the pillars, it holds forth the word of life. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. What does the true church do? It holds forth the word of life. Thus saith the Lord, these written words, these things I write unto you, <laughs> that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave. It's not a hope so like Timothy's coming, or like Paul's coming to Timothy. It's not a hope so like, hey, Lord willing, I'll be here Sunday. No, you can know how to behave because I've got some things scripted down, Paul said to Timothy. I've got written words. Don't let anybody move you from the written word. Ground pillars upholding. And too many churches, it's been replaced. And I believe it's been replaced with the modern versions. Ultimately. But even, even weaker than that, it's completely taken out of the pulpit and its stories and jokes and humor and somebody can go look I, I heard of this church the way that they organize it is they're specifically told you don't preach more than 15 to 20 minutes you wrap it up 30 minutes a song 15 20 minute pep talk of stories there's no there's very 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 little bible if any You've got ground, you got pillars, but you took the you put you took the word of God off of it and you replaced it with man's ideas. What a poor exchange. A poor exchange. Let's hold forth the word of life. Let's commit to doing that at our local assembly. Mm -hmm.